today we are talking about uh, one-on-one with Jesus, my identity. Uh, sometimes we've had a couple chairs sitting up here, and I sat and had a conversation with Jesus. Today, he's just with this stand. He gets his own stand today. Um, so we're thinking about uh, what it means to have a conversation with Jesus about this issue of identity. A few years ago, uh, I remember hearing the story of a man that was uh, found unconscious, had been beaten, and was in this restaurant somewhere in the south, and he had total amnesia about who he was. Um, And so for like the last eight years or so, nobody's known who this guy was, no ID, no fingerprints, uh, nothing that would give record of who he was. A while after that, a lady named Catherine, who was a nurse, um, decided to try to take care of him, still is, and is trying to reawaken his memory, but he has no idea who he is. He truly lost his identity. Uh, If you watch uh, some of the advertisements from out here on TV or radio or on the internet, you'll notice that um, uh, somebody stealing your identity is a global problem. People are taking people's identity, taking dollars and money. Um, You know, as I was thinking about all that, I thought at the heart of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is to receive a brand new identification, a brand new identity. In Jesus, we do not lose ourselves, but we become who God intended us to be in the beginning, to only be in him. So um, we, we battle with that. Um, there's, a, there's even more sinister and evil thief of your identity than just the things that we might know of in the world, and that is Satan himself. He wants to steal more than your money. He wants to steal your whole identity, who you were created by God to be. He wants to steal that identity and diminish that identity and confuse your identity. He doesn't want you to know who God intended you to be, who God made you to be. He doesn't want you to know the power that you have as a child of God, as a son, a daughter uh, of in God's family. You know, I think one of the reasons that we get kind of messed up, one of the reasons that we get confused and mixed up about our identity is because of all the, um, the stress that we deal with and not knowing really who we are. You know, but Satan is not as powerful as God, praise his name. For one thing, Satan can't create anything. He doesn't create, he can only distort. He can only take what God has created and pervert it in some way. He destroys the beautiful things that God makes. And uh, so he does that with money. He does that with sexual issues. He does that with physical beauty. He does that with power. He does it with your identity. And Satan uses all kinds of tools to accomplish that. On your outline, I'll give you some ideas of that. How does he steal or mix up or confuse our identity? One is He uses your hurt and pain. He uses your hurt and pain to bring that about. You know, if Satan can get you angry, if he can cause you to be bitter, 
If he can fill your life with some shame about things that have happened to you or through you or by others toward you, he can distort your identity. He uses hurt and pain. Number two, he uses uh, people's opinions uh, about you. Uh, And uh, to tell you the truth, you know this, but everybody will not tell you the truth. Some people don't tell you the truth. And so some of the things that have been said to you or about you in your life are just not true. Maybe some friends have said things about you. Maybe parents, maybe a a marriage partner or some enemy in your life or maybe just even a friend that have said things to you or about you that are not necessarily true. And Satan takes those things and uses them to distort your perspective about yourself. He uses people's opinions. Number three, he uses culture and media. You know, you get these messages all the time. You know, some people think, oh, whatever I listen, what kind of music I listen to, that doesn't make any difference. Oh, yes, it does. Uh, Movies that you watch, television programs, you know, the culture and the media around us want you to think a certain way. And so that's why they carry out some of the things that they do. You know, uh, you know, if you just leave your TV on and you come walking through the living room and you're not paying any attention, you might hear some things that are really quite contrary to what you believe because the culture and the media tries to find a way to shape uh, our identity. You shouldn't, you should be like that they would say, instead of who God really and truly made you to be. And then, of course, the last one is he uses our own thoughts. He puts suggestions into our mind. And then, you know, when you're uh, all by yourself or you're thinking about your life, maybe you would think things like, I'm no good. I'm a failure. Uh, uh, You know, he uses those thoughts and feelings that he puts into your life to make you feel bad about it. Do you know that your feelings are a terrible predictor of the truth? I mean, sometimes they're off base. We recognize that people say things that can be untrue, but we hold on to those things. They're like tapes that we keep listening to. So this morning, our one-on-one with Jesus is asking him a question. Thanks for joining us, every one of these services, Lord. I know you're present in this place, but I wanted us uh, to to think about you standing right here and talking to us. So the the question uh, that I uh, had in mind uh, was, in our one-on-one today, what is one of the most important things that I need to know, that I need to get right as a Christian if I'm going to live a fulfilled and a meaningful life? And I think Jesus' answer today is going to be my identity in Christ. My identity uh, in Christ. Knowing who I really am, who God made me to be, who God made you to be, and knowing what God thinks about us, what it says about our identity is absolutely essential to living the life well lived that he has for us. So our happiness, our fulfillment in our life is directly connected with my identity in Christ, how I view that. Now, notice I said that the question was, what do I need as a Christian? Because I believe that if you don't know Christ, if you're not in a right relationship with Christ, there is no way for you to know who God really intended you to be. You can't figure that out. 
because you're listening to simply the things of the world, all kinds of different voices around us. So the first thing that all of us have to do is to make sure that we're right with God, that we're in a right relationship uh, with Christ. So that's a wonderful thing for us to talk about today. If you have not made a decision to trust Christ or you have felt like you've sort of wandered from him, today is a great day to say yes to Jesus, uh, to know that my identity is wrapped up in him and I'm willing to let his voice uh, speak into my life. So not only do we know God through Jesus Christ, but we know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We know ourselves through the life and death of Jesus, and that apart from him, we cannot know that we are, uh, that we are loved and accepted uh, by him. So we recognize what he is seeking to accomplish in us and who he wants us uh, to be uh, in him. So today, we are thinking about our identity in Christ. Now, number one, the first thing uh, that we could say is Jesus' view of, of you. If you could understand that better, if you knew what Jesus had to say about your identity in him, will you believe it? Will you receive that? Will you accept uh, who he has intended uh, for you to be? So, we're going to look at these. Now, when I set this up, worked on this message, uh, I came up with a list of what the, the Bible particularly says about you and me. How does God, how does Jesus feel about us? What is Jesus' view? And I came up with 35. So um, we'll be here to two, no, we won't be here that long. Um, <laughs> we're just going to do five. Talk about them. But I'm telling you, the scripture is flooded with information about how God feels about you, how he, the, the care that he offers to you. So we're going to look at five uh, different ways that Jesus would say if we ask him, what is the Jesus view of us? Number one, you are completely acceptable. You are a completely accepted now, this is important for us because of the wounds that we have in our life that many times come from rejection because rejection is hurtful, rejection in our life, and that we spend a lot of time trying to gain acceptance, maybe gain acceptance from your parents, or we want to earn it from our peers or our friends, our coworkers. We want to earn acceptance from those that we respect. We want to earn acceptance from those that maybe we have a little, that we're a little envious of. And this drive to be accepted influences everything in our life. It influences what you wear. It influences, it influences what you drive, the house that you live in, the career that you choose, uh, what you buy. You know what? We buy all kinds of stuff to kind of earn acceptance, right? So the pain you know, we knew it early on in our life, the pain of not being chosen on a team. You experience that, where they're choosing up sides, and the first one is chosen, and the second one, and you're saying, oh, no, I don't want to be the last person chosen. Being chosen gives you that sense of self-worth. You're chosen for an award chose to be honored in some way, chosen for a promotion. You know what that does uh, to your, your self-esteem. This week, I was thinking about being chosen. Uh, I was walking toward the restaurant with, with Kim, and as we're walking along, she took my arm, and, and I said, 
thanks, thanks for, uh, for being my Valentine. And she said, I'm your forever Valentine. Oh, isn't that sweet? So sweet. I'm so glad she chose, right? I'm so glad that we've spent these almost you know, 40 years together and um, the Lord is helping us to continue to grow in our love for each other, but I'm glad her choosing me to be her husband and us choosing each other brings such value to our life. Well, here's the good news. 1 Peter 2.9 says that God has chosen us. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 2, uh, 9 and 10. I want to go back to this scripture. It was printed on your outline there. And uh, I want us to read it together. Um, we can look at it. You can see it's from the uh, New International Version there. It's on the screen for you. It's on the outline. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a word there. He's telling us that you have, you have been chosen by God. Now, uh, chosen by God, recognizing that, um, that God chose you before everything. God chose you before everything. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight by his love. Did you know that? Did you know that before God created the universe, he decided that he was going to love you? He was going to accept you. He chose you. Before he made the sun and the moon and the oceans, before he made the earth and the world and the birds and everything else, he chose you. That proclaims how valuable, how accepted you are by God. God chose you. You are accepted. And we are reminded from Titus that Jesus made me acceptable. How am I acceptable? Because he made me acceptable. Titus 3, 7 says, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God, made us acceptable and gave us the hope of eternal life. Now that's acceptance, right? God accepts us, not based on performance, not based on what you do but based on who Jesus is. Not based on who you are, but based on who Jesus is, his character. God's love says you are accepted because Jesus gave his life for you. You are accepted. Uh, so that's the first thing that you need to know is because of God's love for you, because Jesus Christ gave his life for you, you are completely accepted. That is good news, right, uh, as he accepts us. Now, second thing to know about your identity, what God says about you, what God believes about you, is it not only completely accepted, but number two, Jesus would say, you are extremely valuable. You are extremely valuable. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it clear that your life is priceless. You're not only accepted by God, but you are valuable. You are priceless. He says, the verses that we read, you are a holy nation belonging to God. 
you are a people belonging to God. You know, what, what, makes, what makes something valuable? How do we decide something is valuable? Um, well, value can be dependent on a number of different things. One thing that makes something valuable is who owns it. Uh, when you go to an auction, um, you know, if you find a shoe there, it might not be worth a whole lot unless somebody owned it that was famous. Then they'll, they'll auction that thing off for a lot. Or if you find a car that was owned or driven by a celebrity, it's going to be worth a lot more than your car. Um, how about like a, a piece of furniture that was used by the president? Then that piece of furniture is going to be a lot more valuable. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God, his treasured possession. You are, you are precious to me, uh, the scripture says, Isaiah 43, 4. So he's talking about, um, you know, why, why am I extremely valuable? Why am I valuable to God? Well, he's reminding us that you're valuable because God is your father. Jesus says God is your uh, father. Luke 12, 24, look at the birds. God feeds them and they are more valuable to him than, you are more valuable to him than any birds. Why? Because you're his child. God is your father. And another reason that you're invaluable is because not only is God your father, but because Jesus would say, I gave my life for you. Can you imagine Jesus standing here and saying, I gave my life for every one of you? How could how could you not be recognized that you are valuable uh, to me? Uh, the love, the trust that I have um, for you. On the other side of your outline, it has a verse um, reminding us that uh, you have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to him. Christ died for you. You belong to him. That adds value to your life. You know, if you're... Uh, if somebody's trying to sell their house, they might say, well, how much is my house worth? Well, I'll tell you how much it's worth. Even, I won't even have to see it. I'll tell you exactly what it's worth. It's worth some, what somebody's willing to pay for it. That's it. You know, if they look at an art piece, what is that art piece worth? Well, you can say it's worth anything you want to, but the truth is it's worth what somebody is willing to purchase it for. Um, I remember hearing a few years back about this daughter of a very, very wealthy oil man in the Middle East. His daughter was kidnapped, and he put out on social media all over the world that uh, he would pay any price for her return, any price, because she was the king's daughter. You're the king's daughter. If you're a believer in Christ, you're the king's son, you're the king's daughter, you're God's child. It's the greatest ransom that has ever been paid for by, Je by, it was by Jesus Christ. God, who is, uh, accepts our, our suffering, our sin, he exchanged his own son for your salvation, for your freedom. Christ gave his life so that you might have eternal life. I mean, if you want to know how valuable you, you are, look at the cross. Look at the cross. And Jesus outstretched on that cross, dying, saying, I love you. I love you. You are so valuable. This is how valuable you are to me. So when, when people being either snarky or just mean, hateful, say things like you are worthless, that is dead wrong. 
That is an evil statement, as a matter of fact. You are priceless. You are created by God. You are accepted by God. You are infinitely valuable to God through Christ. Jesus says he accepts you. He says that you are valuable. There's a third thing. Number three, what does God say? What is Jesus' view? Jesus would say, you are eternally loved. You are eternally loved. And notice it says, the verse we read, once you were not a people, in other words, once you did not have an identity, you're nothing, you're have no identity, but now you're the people of God. Man, that has profound implications. When, when Christ is in your life, when you accept Christ, you become part of God's family, the family of God. And by the way, the family of God is called the church, the church. The church is the family of God on earth. People ask me often, do I really have to go to church to be a Christian? Well, it, doesn't, it really makes no sense to ask a question like that because the family of God is the church. We are the church that comes together. God, and that, the church, the family of God is going to last forever. What is, what is he taking to heaven? He's taking believers that, that are part of, the, of, of his family. God is our father. He is, Jesus is not ashamed of us. He said, I'm not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters, to call you my family. Now, some of you got family you might be a little ashamed of. You know, that's how it goes. But Christ says, I am not ashamed to call you uh, my family. Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. I have drawn you to myself. Nobody loves you like Jesus. Nobody loves you like Jesus. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I mean, that's not going to end. It lasts forever. It's everlasting. It's unfailing. I mean, we all have people in our life that fail us. You know, I've, I've let my wife down, I'm sure, a few, a few times. I didn't mean to. I love her, but I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect husband. Uh, well, sometimes we fail our children. Sometimes we fail. You know, sometimes the pastor fails somebody in the church. You know, I'm not a perfect person. Neither are you. But God has unfailing love. Um, you know, when you think about love, the kind of love that we look around, we recognize that we can say that because God is love. God is love. God's love is eternal and his faithfulness lasts forever. This love of God, it's, it's unconditional. Unconditional. He never says, I love you if... You do this or that. You know, that's the kind of love you see on TV, right? Or from a girlfriend or boyfriend. I'll love you if you'll do this or that. I'll love you if you please me. I'll love you if you do these things. Uh, that's not real love. That's conditional love. And then there are people who say, I love you because. It's kind of like a, you know, a nice Hallmark card. I love you because you look so nice. You are so beautiful. Well, what about when you don't look so good anymore? What are you going to do then? It's, it's, it's not a, it's a conditional love. Um, you know, what, what happens when things change, when somebody gets sick, when, when they don't love you back? What are you, what are you going to do? God's love, God's love for you is I love you, period. I love you, period. And God's love is not only unconditional, but secondly, God's love is consistent. God's love is not fickle and un, 
unpredictable. He recognizes, we recognize that he loves us. You know, you never have to get up in the morning and wonder, does God love me today? Nope. He loves you consistently. Consistently, he says, everlasting, eternal love. So you are eternally loved. God is love, and his love is unconditional and consistent for us. So let's review. God's true view of you and me is that you are accepted, valuable, extremely valuable, and totally, eternally loved, everlastingly loved. Number four, what else, Jesus? How do we determine our identity with you and the Father? And number four is, Jesus would say, you are totally forgiven. You are totally forgiven. Verse, the verse we read, verse 10, said, At one time you didn't know God's mercy, but now you have received his mercy. Before you were living in guilt. Before you were living in shame, but now you have received mercy from God. You didn't, you didn't know that before God even made you, before you were created, before you took your first breath, before he already knew that you weren't going to live perfectly. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but he still loves you. He still offers his forgiveness to you. His forgiveness is like a giant eraser that takes away all the sin. That is called the grace of God, the grace of God. You know, sometimes even Christians can have accepted the love of Christ in their life, have committed their life to him, and still don't understand grace. So at any time something kind of bad happens in, in your life, maybe you're like some people that I've been around, and they'll say, well, God's getting even with me. God's getting even with. Does God really treat his children like that? God is not seeking to get even with you or anybody else. Absolutely not. That's not grace. Romans 8, 1. There is now no condemnation, like no condemnation, zero, zip, nada, nothing. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What that means is that God does not carry grudges. God does not carry grudges. He says, I don't hold anything against you. When you sin and you have given your life to Christ and Christ is in your life, what he did on the cross offers total forgiveness to you. Totally forgiven, totally forgiven because, I mean, first of all, that's, that's his nature. He desires to offer us forgiveness and God forgives not because I forgive, not because you and I earned it. We, we do it because the scripture says in Ephesians 1, 7, 4, by the blood of Christ, we are set free. So he has given us uh, freedom. He tells us, this is the word of Jesus to us. Why are you uh, forgiven? Because I paid for your sins. So our one-on-one -on -one with Jesus is he's reminding us that he's paid the price. He has paid, paid the price uh, for your sins. So he says this about your identity, completely accepted, infinitely valuable, eternally loved, completely forgiven, and then number five, this is a big one, I am fully capable. I am fully capable. Did you know that that's what God says about you. God does not say, you are so incompetent. 
He does not call you a klutz. No others might call you that, but he does not. He does not say you sorry, good for nothing. Can't you get anything right? You're on nobody. God never says that. He says you are fully capable, fully capable of becoming what I intended for you to become. Our verse said, you are royal priest. Boy, that's a packed word, isn't it? You are royal priest chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful life, light. He says, you're a priest. You ever thought about that? You're a priest. Um, you know, some of you think it's your job just to straighten everybody out. Maybe your job to take care of this or that or just be, be loud. And, and, uh, but every believer in Christ is a priest. You are a chosen priesthood, he said. Now, what does a priest do? A priest represents God to people and represents people to God. So what kind of greater position than a royal priest representing God could you have? So what are you supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to, some of you might think about a priest in, the, in another uh, religious organization or, <coughs> excuse me, or about uh, the pastor. But God doesn't say the pastor's a priest. Um, God says you are a priest and it means you don't have to go to a priest to confess your sins that you can go directly to Jesus, the high priest. And what are you supposed to do? Well, one verse, I didn't put it on here, is Acts 26, 18. If you want to look that up later, uh, it says, you are to open their eyes and turn them from what he's talking about there in that verse 26, 18 of Acts is he's talking about how we talk to unbelievers, how we influence other believers. You are to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So that's what you do as a priest. So that through faith in me, they will have their sins forgiven and they will receive their place among God's chosen people. Are you a priest? That's, that's what Jesus says. It's what God says about you. So you think about us around here. Um, you know, we, we do things like um, think big. Think big is like our mission work. Out there on the wall, you'll notice all the stuff about Belize because we're going to Belize uh, in April to do a medical mission trip, be our second time uh, in that area. We also have a, a church that's having services right now in Washington. That's one of our campuses. We have a ministry. Irene this morning is preaching in a church in the south side, talking about our ministry in the south side there. Um, we take first and second graders on mission trips. We take third and fourth graders on mission trips. We take fifth and sixth graders on mission trips. We take uh, our youth group on mission trips. Now, you know why we do all that stuff? We do all that stuff not to just have our staff have something to do. They got plenty to do. We provide all these opportunities because we are all priests of God, being used by God to help other people know about him. It's for every person uh, that knows Christ. So he's, he's counting on us. He's counting us to be um, the priest. He says... 
to us, you are fully capable. You are able, you are able to be a royal priest. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6 says the capacity that we have comes from God. It is he who has actually made us capable of serving the new covenant. You are so capable. You know why that's important? Because most people live their lives with such a sense of insecurity, like they can't measure up, they can't accomplish anything, but that's because you're just listening to the voices of other people and other things in your life rather than listening to the voice of Jesus. In one-on-one -on -one with him, he wants you to know that his truth will set you free. You are capable. He says, you can do anything because of his strength in you. So what, is, what does all this add up to? He's given us some statements of, that he had for us. Now let's make a statement to him. All this happens, all this is possible because Jesus, you are the most important voice in my life. Jesus, you are the most important voice in my life. Is that true for you? Is that true in your life that Jesus is the most important voice in your life? Because there's lots of things to listen to, lots of voices, lots of people. You can listen to your own words. You can listen to others. You can listen to your, your wife, your husband, your children, other people. Um, you know, we have to be, our words really matter. Our words matter to other people. Like, we are, we are called together to encourage others around us. I know sometimes you get frustrated and say things you shouldn't say, but God wants us to make sure that we are recognizing that his voice is the most important voice for us, and how do we be priests to help that happen in the lives of others? So, you are completely accepted by God. You are extremely valuable to God. You are loved by God. You are forgiven by God. You are fully capable of God. Um, I wrote it the, near the bottom here. How should my identity affect how I act? Well, I didn't have time to preach all the rest of that, but there's some verses here, kind of like homework. How does God want you to act? How does he want you to respond uh, to other people, to recognize that we allow his voice to be the main voice, and then that affects how we live our voice, the voice that we have in, in the life of others. So um, what are you going to do? Uh, how are you, you going to respond? Uh, the, the Spirit encourages us to recognize what God has done to You know, all of this stuff this morning is just not a nice suggestion that God had in mind for you. This is the view of God in your life. Um, I'm, I heard about this um, gentleman. He was from uh, Asia, and he ended up coming over here uh, as, a, as an immigrant. Um, you know, he was back where he was from. He was a refugee, and he came back, and he was so happy to be able to become a citizen of the United States. Here's what he said. I'm in a new country, but I've struggled to find my identity. I didn't want to be a lost person. I didn't want to be a refugee. I didn't want to be an immigrant. I wanted to know what my identity was. And then, he says, I went to a Billy Graham crusade, and I discovered what my true identity was in Christ. He says, today, I'm no longer confused about who I am. I'm God's child. 
My citizenship is in heaven. And I'm grateful that I found out who I really am. My identity in Christ. Man, what stability that brings. What security. It gives satisfaction. It reminds us of the significance. So he's not just giving a nice suggestion. He's saying, let's be who God intended us to be. I heard about this man. And he's a... He was a kind of a philosopher, professor, and he gave his life to Christ. So he's, he's walking down the road, uh, or the sidewalk, and he sees a group of friends coming toward him. And he knows that every time he hangs out with those friends, he gets himself in trouble. And so instead of walking toward them, he turned and started walking the other way. And he can hear their voice saying, hey, wait up, it's us. He yells back, I know it's y'all. But I'm not me anymore. I'm going this way. He had a new identity in his relationship with Christ. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do about your new identity? One thing you could do is to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've been sitting in this service. Maybe you come to church occasionally. But have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? What brings you here today? You're never going to get it all figured out without surrendering your life to him. Give your life to Christ today. Maybe your action step could be getting baptized. You know, we just happen to have a baptism service this afternoon. Tonight here at 6 o'clock, we're going to have baptism. Do you need to be baptized? I meet people occasionally that haven't been baptized or haven't really thought all that through. You know, believing, recognizing who you are, proclaiming who I am in Christ. If you want to be baptized, you could be baptized in our service tonight. Uh, how about this? Maybe your action could be, I'm going to join the church. Like, this is my family. I made, I made this choice. Um, we just so happen to have a membership class this afternoon. Uh, you know, I, I meet people that sometimes say, well, I don't know about joining the church and all that. I, I've, I've heard that a lot. But, you know, I'm, I, I, see these, um, I see some women, women that come up and, and say to me, um, you know, we want to we get married. You know, I might just say to them, well, why, why worry about that? You know, why, well, you know, no, I got to get him committed. You know, I, I got to, he's got to make a commitment. And so they, he said, you're going to buy a tuxedo and you're going to stand right up here. And we're going to, we're going to have a wedding because there's a level of commitment in that. But you belong to Christ. You belong to the church. So we come together. We recognize what he has, who he has wanted us to be, to be a part of the family of God. I just encourage you, um, you know, we're not the only church. You know, there's a lot of great churches. We pray for all the churches in this whole area and region, really around the world. We're, the Nazarene Church is not the only church. But if you decide this is your place, come on, the water's fine. Get in. Come on in. Be a part of this place if God has chosen and allowed you to choose this to be, uh, to be your family. Another action that we could take in light of God's view of us is to change our old ways of thinking and believe what Jesus says about you. Believe that not just what your friends say, what others have said around you, but recognize what God has said about you, desiring you to be the person that he created you to be. So what's your identity? Is it all wrapped up in Christ? I uh, have for us, an identity prayer. Now, this prayer is written for you. 
on the outline. It will show up on the screen that you'll be able to see it. And we're going to pray it together in a moment. But just think about a little bit of this. Recognizing that the Father can heal broken hearts, bitter memories, damaged self-esteem, that God can turn nobodies into somebody, that we can see ourselves the way that God wanted us to see ourselves, that Jesus, from today forward, I want to listen to what you say, not what others say. I want to fulfill my real identity in you, not just what my feelings tell me. I want to trust your word, you and your word completely in every area of my life. I want to care more about what you say than what others say about me or what others think. May the truth, your truth, set me free. And then right here at the end, we should say boldly, Jesus, I'm completely accepted. I am extremely valuable. I am eternally loved. I am completely forgiven. I am fully capable. Amen. And then there should be great cheering and celebration, right? That's what he said. That's who you are. That's what he desires you to recognize and to know in your life. You can live the rest of your life listening to all these other voices, or you could be transformed because you believed what Jesus Christ said about you, how he views you. Let's stand together. Let's pray this prayer. You can look at it written. You can see it on the screen there. Um, We'll pray it together, and then we'll boldly say the ending together and give him praise. You ready? Thank you, Father, that you can heal broken hearts, bitter memories, and damaged self-esteem. Thank you, God. You can do that. Thank you that patterns can be erased and reversed. Thank you, God, that you can turn nobodies into somebodies. Jesus, help us all to see ourselves through your eyes of love. Help me to see myself the way you see me. Thank you for loving me, for sending Jesus to die for me so I could be forgiven. Jesus, from today forward, I want to listen to what you say, not what others say. I want to fulfill my real identity in you, not what my feelings tell me. Help me to realize my feelings often lie. I want to learn to trust you and your word completely with every area of my life. Help me to care more about what you think than what other people think. May the truth, your truth, set me free. Jesus, I am completely accepted. Say it. I am extremely valuable. I am eternally loved. I am completely forgiven. I am fully capable. Amen. Praise his name. Glory be to God. I don't know what you're going to do with this, but um, you, you probably ought to keep it somewhere. Maybe you could pray it again for the next five days or 10 days. Maybe you could really get your heart and mind to start believing instead of that junk that you continue to carry around with you that other people told about you. Listen to what Jesus says. Proclaim it in prayer together and let him change your mind and transform who you are based on how he views you. Would you let Jesus be the most important voice 
in your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for uh, putting, putting this thought on our mind, helping us to have these one-on-one conversations with you. Thank you, Lord, that you are stronger than the curses that have been spoken against us. You are stronger than those that have put us down, those that have rejected us, those that have pushed us aside, those that have spoken so harshly to or about us. You are stronger. Your view is powerful. You speak the truth, and you've told us so profoundly how you view us. Help us, Lord, to know we're accepted, to know that we are valuable to God, to know that we are loved, totally forgiven, and fully capable of being the men and women that you created us to be. Lord, we celebrate you, we praise you together, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everybody say it together. Amen.